get your car washed because it's probably dirty right now. Whether it's you know washing all the germs out, you want to get obviously the germs out of your car, but also you want it to look really nice. Go to Tommy's Express Car Wash. It's wash, rinse, repeat with Tommy's. And guess what? They have an app. It's the Tommy Club app. So download it. I know you have a smartphone, so you're going to be able to download apps. You don't have a flip phone if you're listening to this podcast. I'm just assuming that. And if you do, more power to you. But if you do, then you're missing out on this great deal. Because if you download the Tommy Club app today, you're going to enjoy endless washing for one low price. Endless washing for one low price at Tommy's Express Car Wash. That's unlimited car washes, unlimited clean, shiny, and dry, unlimited use of exclusive app lane at Tommy's, unlimited access to all the Tommy's locations, and there are a lot of them, unlimited guest service, most importantly, unlimited happiness. That's a Tommy's Express Car Wash. We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F- that. You don't got time that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. What's going on? Happy Tuesday here on another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, also KLWN.com and on the KLWN app. We've got Matt Tate joining us in about 35 minutes from right now. LJ World, KUSports.com. Talk a little KU hoops with Matt. Some of the Big 12 KU realignment talk. We're going to be previewing another KU football opponent today. It'll be Texas Tech on the ledger for today's show. And that'll be with Chris Level, who hosts Tech Talk, which is basically like Rock Chalk Sports Talk, but down in Lubbock uh, from them and also does the sideline for Texas Tech football. And then we got Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports, who's going to talk more Big 12 and just college football as a whole realignment with us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. More news coming out today as it has been basically every day with the realignment stuff. Officially today, Texas and Oklahoma sent off their letter to the SEC requesting to join in. The SEC just has to have 11 of the 14 schools basically vote yes. It's officially called like a letter of invitation but it's basically just a vote. And even if Texas A&M votes no, it seems like they're going to be fine and they're going to eventually join them. One of the key questions we had yesterday was, what's going to be the timeline here? The statement from Texas and Oklahoma read that, hey, we're going to we're gonna do our best. We're going to stay in for the rest of the Big 12 media rights till that ends up expired in 2024 to 2025 after that season. But there was a quick statement after that. However, things change. They're fluid, so to speak. Basically to say, we're not going to come out legally and say, yeah, we plan on just cutting ties here. We're going to say what we need to say to avoid the legal issues, but we're going to probably try to cut ties here. Whether that means legal action, whether that means paying buyouts, whether that means the Big 12 dissolving around them and not having to worry about it, those are things that Texas and Oklahoma could do. And by all accounts, I'd be pretty surprised if Texas and Oklahoma, obviously they're going to have to be in the Big 12 this year. It's too quick of a turnaround with the start of the season. 
I would honestly be a little surprised if they weren't in the SEC as soon as 2022. So next season, for next college football season, I should say, the 22-23 year. At the very least, the year after that. I doubt they're sticking around for the full time. Chip Brown, who works for the Texas Longhorns 24-7 site, horns247.com, he reported, source close to the situation, said the buyout money for Texas and Oklahoma to leave the Big 12 before 2025 could come from the roughly $160 million that Texas is still owed by ESPN for the final 10 years of ESPN's 20-year, $300 million contract with Texas for the Longhorn Network. So ESPN would still, I believe, in this circumstance, have rights over the Longhorn Network. It would still air stuff on the ESPN family of networks, ESPN3, and so forth. Texas would just basically say, hey, instead of you paying us whatever's still left, the final 10 years, the final $150 million of that contract, just keep the money, continue to put on our stuff. You can still have the media rights and or just keep some of the money, and that'll pay for our buyout of the Big 12. It sounds like the buyouts that Texas and Oklahoma each have to pay if they want to get out of the Big 12 early is about $75 million. So if you have $150 million still to come from ESPN, from the Longhorn Network, okay, now all you have is you still have $75 million coming in, and you're all square. You get to go to the SEC. As far as Oklahoma, are they going to get some of Texas' money there? Is Texas going to be willing to do that to help out Oklahoma? I mean, surely it helped them make the move to the SEC and make it earlier because they probably won't be able to go by themselves, so they might have to. But I kind of think that they'll figure out a way for them to either pay the buyouts. I mean, they have the money for it. Either that or they'll work some legal fees into it where, hey, we settled that instead of having to pay $75 million, you don't want us in the conference anymore. We're disgruntled. It's just going to be awkward the next four years. Just lower the buyout to $40 million, and we'll both get out of here, and everybody's hands are free. I would be kind of surprised if you're not seeing Oklahoma and Texas out of the Big 12 as soon as next year. So where does that leave the rest of the Big 12? Questions that we've been asking and trying to answer over these past couple days. Well, a new piece came out today. This is from the J-Boy Show, which it doesn't carry a lot of water for me to say, well, how about the J-Boy Show? Right, It's not me saying, this is what Dan Patrick reported, or ESPN reports this. It's the J-Boy Show, which I, I hadn't heard of, but they have a very, very big following. I probably hadn't heard of them because I'm not in the weeds on SEC stuff, and that's mainly what they cover. But they have a very big following, a very big show. It's like a website. They cover the SEC. They have a podcast and so forth. So take it with a grain of salt, but this company or show does have a big following so this isn't just coming from some random guy on a message board saying well I saw so and so at the grocery store and this happened and this is what was reported this morning there will be a big 12 and a pac 12 merger and that Kansas and Texas Tech will not be asked to the merger dance that's just from the big 12 that I've heard uh, now I'm going to let that sink in and don't shoot the messenger, Kansas or Texas Tech people, uh, fans, whatever. Uh, but again, 
I know it's been talked about a, a couple days ago about a merger, a possibility of a merger. I am hearing that is very, very, very likely to happen. Not only that, but Kansas and Texas Tech will not be invited to the dance. Now, I know Kansas basketball is huge. Obviously, Texas Tech's been very successful in basketball. And I do know when there was talk about Texas and Oklahoma joining the Pac-12 a couple years ago, a while back, that I think the states mandated that Oklahoma has to bring Oklahoma State and Texas has to bring Texas Tech. Uh, but obviously, that's not the case anymore now that Texas and Oklahoma are going to the SEC. So, real quick, Pac-12, Big 12, merger very likely, Kansas and Texas Tech not likely to join them in that merger. Okay, so a lot to unpack there. And again, take it with a grain of salt. This is coming from the J-Boy show. Big following, a lot of success, but not the credibility of, like I said, like an ESPN or a Fox Sports, something like that. My biggest questions are for one in this situation where the Big 12 and Pac-12 would merge, which... I don't think that's that crazy of an idea that they would merge. I don't think that's that unheard of, especially when you think of eight teams being left over, 12 currently in the Pac-12. Put them together. You got a perfect 20. You split it up 10 and 10. You can put Colorado in the Eastern or Central Division, whatever you want to call it. I don't know, move Utah over or something like that. And then you just play your nine other teams in your division. Maybe you have one crosstown game every year. You play a 10-game league schedule, and the winner of each league or division, plays each other in a title game. It'd be a way to basically retain what you're already doing but kind of add to it at the same point in time and also stick around regionally with who's currently in your league so that you're not having to, okay, well, West Virginia being in the same conference as USC would be problematic from a geography standpoint. Think about as far as they have to travel to the Big 12. Now double that because it's three hours maybe to get to the Big 12 now it's six or seven to go play USC or UCLA. So you'd have to have separate divisions that kind of mitigate that travel. So it makes sense that you have kind of a merger here. But what I don't get is why leave out Texas Tech and Kansas among the teams that were going on here. And again, I, I don't know the credibility of this report, how true it is. There's probably going to be a lot of rumors and happenstance that gets thrown around over these coming months, days, weeks given how crazy this all is going to be. But Kansas is, besides Texas and Oklahoma, made the most revenue the last time it was reported by the USA Today of any Big 12 school. Top 30 in the country, third in the Big 12, and that's without a good football program, making them kind of a sleeping giant, quite honestly, because imagine if the football program even gets to bowl level good. Now what are you making? Are you a top 20 revenue program in the country? If you're making more from your conference, are you a top 15 revenue program in the country? I think that's kind of the ceiling. This could be a top 15 level revenue producer when all things are right for this program. That has a lot of value. So why leave them out in Texas Tech? Now maybe Texas Tech you could get there because they're not as high up on that revenue chart. But it just seems weird that you have West Virginia, a team that would have to make that seven-hour plane ride or whatever to get to USC and UCLA, and I don't even know how long it takes to get up to Oregon. West Virginia makes a lot of revenue. They're right behind Kansas, but just from some of that other stuff, it doesn't make sense. 
So I, I don't get why that would occur, which makes me question. Maybe that's just me having Kansas colored goggles on. I don't know. It just kind of makes me question what's the point there. And if you want to say, well, Kansas has just been so bad at football, well, that's the point. Even though they've been that bad at football, they're still the highest earning Big 12 school besides Texas and Oklahoma. And also the fact that it's not like there's a bunch of, it's not like there aren't any kind of pushovers in the Pac-12, right? I mean, Oregon State's kind of figuring it out now, but for a few years there, Oregon State was one of the worst Power 5 teams in the country. You've seen school. Arizona was atrocious last year. It's not like they haven't had schools that aren't good at football. So I, I don't understand that, and that kind of makes me question this report, but it's definitely something to monitor. But I think, like I said, I, I think what this shows you is a lot of people are hearing things because there's a lot of possibility on the table. I'm not even saying it's wrong. I just think there's a lot of possibilities that are still out there that a lot of different people are hearing from different sources because I think a lot of these schools and conferences don't even know what they're officially going to do yet. They're just kind of working through different scenarios. And so what happens from here probably it's not going to be known for a while. I wouldn't imagine we're going to know this stuff for months. It might not be years. I know I've joked around with the idea that the Big 12 is just kind of sitting on their ass, and Iowa State last night, Jamie Pollard released a video saying they're going to, they plan on being patient and taking the time. They have four years to figure it out. I don't think that's a smart move to take the full four years, but it is a smart move to take some time. This shouldn't be decided next week. This shouldn't be decided in a couple handfuls of days. But it should be decided before the four years of the Big 12 are up. Like, you should probably have a plan in place. If it took Texas and Oklahoma six months to a year to iron this stuff out behind closed doors with the SEC, maybe that's the timeline we look at. We should come back to this in six months to a year, and that's when things should be figured out of what you're going to do from here. But everything is pretty much on the table right now, so there's probably a lot going around that there's probably a lot of mistrust going on with different athletic departments, different schools, different conferences. There's different opportunities there. There's different possibilities. There's phone calls happening between everybody. There's different things being floated around. I just don't think anybody really knows right now. And I don't even think there's certain schools and athletic directors who know right now. Now, that doesn't mean to say that they're clueless. Like, they might have an idea of this is probably our best option right now, and this is maybe the lead right now. But I don't think they know for sure what's going to happen. Like, will you for sure get accepted into the Big Ten or the ACC? Who knows? There could be other pieces there at play as well. Like, what if the Big Ten is interested in Kansas, but they want there to be an even number of teams? So they're telling Kansas, hey, we're only interested in you if you can bring along a partner, if you can bring along somebody of interest to the Big Ten. Because we're interested in your basketball, we're interested in your AAU membership, we're interested in the fact that you're a top 30 revenue producer, even without football being good right now, because it's not going to be bad forever. But we need you to bring somebody along. How does that change the precipice of everything? There's just so many things that go into this that I don't really think anybody knows. So this report would be troublesome, and if it is true, that's very worrisome for Kansas that they would get left behind because if the Pac-12 ain't taking you and they're taking every other school, because again, they would be taking every other school in the Big 12 besides Kansas and Texas Tech. 
that would be very bad news because that would show you where on the totem pole you're viewed by other conferences. I just have a hard time believing that. Again, maybe it's because I have Jayhawk colored glasses, but I just look at the fact that they are the highest revenue producer in the conference. They have a giant brand. They have giant alumni bases in big cities like Dallas, Chicago, and to a smaller point, L.A., which, hey, that works in the Pac-12. That's why I have a hard time believing it. But if it is true, that's kind of doomsday scenario. Because if they don't take you, that means you're probably going to a Mountain West or American Athletic Conference. And it's not complete doomsday if that does happen. I've kind of been painting it that way because of the standpoint of you're going to lose so much money. You make almost $40 million being in the Big 12. You might make seven, eight, nine, ten million million, $10 million for being in one of those other conferences. Maybe. And that's a big deterrent. But there still are success stories of teams in smaller conferences. It just means that less would be going on for the athletic department as a whole with less money to be had and less for the school as a whole, which you obviously don't want. But let's say this is all legit. Does that mean KU would want a different option or likes their chances with the ACC or Big Ten? So would it need the Pac-12 or does it just mean they'd be screwed? Kirk Bowles of the Austin American Statesman reported, I'm told Big Ten is much more interested in AAU schools than Pac-12 is. I'm told Kansas and Iowa State, both AAU members, made a run at the Big Ten, but I don't know if they'll get any place, according to a Big 12 source. Now, that's from a Big 12 source. Those aren't the ones that matter, technically, because it's the Big Ten sources you need. Maybe they're not in the know there, but probably more in the know than I am, so that's not an endearing quote. And so while I still have questions about why, neither of these are good news for KU of True. It really doesn't matter what they end up in conference-wise. They just cannot end up in a non-power conference. Like I said, it's not absolute doomsday, but there is a big, big difference in terms of the money brought in, your opportunity that you're going to have if you can find a way to stay in one of these conferences than falling off to the AAC or the Mountain West. And if these reports are true... That's bad news for their opportunity to do that. But again, I don't really know that anybody really has the answers right now. FM 1017-1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Going to join us in about 15 minutes. Welcome back in. Rock Chalk Sports Talk here. FM 1017-1320 KLWN. We have Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. Joins us every Tuesday here on RCST. I, I do want to get into some of the Big 12 expansion or realignment or I guess de-expansion. Is, is that a word? I don't know. Um, but I also previously was talking about Remy Martin has now arrived on campus in Lawrence. I, I was wondering earlier, what do you think the difference for the team if he's just a solid player, maybe one who, I don't know, he's like a third team all Big 12 player versus being an all-American type guy? How much of a difference is that for KU this season? Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think the thing is it's probably bigger for Remy than it is for KU. I mean, I, I, I think they, uh, I, I think they need him to be good. No question about it. But I, I think if you're, if you're setting up this question based on, you know, solid versus spectacular, I think if he's solid, there's enough talent around him for this team to be a top five team still and, and to be very good still. I mean, we've, we've talked throughout the summer about the idea of Remy Martin coming in here and being a different player than he has shown in the past and, and being a guy who comes in and maybe he only scores 
you know, 12, 14 points, but, but he averages six, seven, eight assists. I mean, if, if he does that, those are probably, uh, I, I don't know. It depends on the person, I guess. But I, I would consider those solid, but not spectacular numbers. Very solid, though. And and so if he's able to do that, um, I, you know, I think that's that's a really good sign for KU. In fact, I think it's probably uh, a better sign for KU than it is if he's out there scoring nineteen twenty a game like he's done the last couple of years. I, I just don't think that's what they're going to need from him. Um, will there be games where he does that? I think so. You know, I think he'll have a few games where he gets hot or he knows the guy guarding him can't stop him and he gets to the rim or maybe he gets the free throw line 12 times or whatever it is, you know, and, and he goes for 20 plus or even 30 plus. Um, I, I do think he'll have some of those games, but I think overall the idea that, that um, he just really needs to be the point guard and be solid and, and, and get others involved and run the show and, and uh, you know, be, be that piece for this team. I, I think that that's all they need. So I, I, I think it's a bigger question for Remy than it is uh, than it is Ku because obviously if he's terrible and just trash and they have to bench him, you know that's going to hurt the team. But I, but I don't know that that's what we're talking about. And and um, and obviously that would hurt him too. So I, I expect him to be very very good, um, and, and I expect him to be a little bit different than we've seen in the past which should in my opinion help him both uh, as a as a college player and a winning on a winning team and, and and as a guy who has hopes of playing professionally but um you know i i don't think i don't think he has to be outrageously good for KU to be good i think they're going to be very very good um even if he's just kind of average where would he rank in the pantheon of if you were i guess releasing odds for who's going to uh, lead KU in in scoring this season would he be at the top of that list, would he come in second and third? Where would you kind of predict that? Yeah, maybe third. I, I you know, I, I haven't thought about it, so that's the first time that that I've that I've even thrown that out there. But um, you know, I, I mean, I still think David McCormick has a better chance because they're going to want to play through him, um, and he showed he what he can do toward the second half of the season last year. Um, I, I expect him to even be better than that. Um, Ochai. I still think is the kind of guy that, that can lead a team in scoring. Um, he did it last year, obviously. And, and his, his shot has improved to, to, to a rate that, that is just, if he gets open looks, you know, that thing's going in about 40%. And, and I think kind of going off to your first question there, I mean, I, I think Remy Martin has a chance to be the reason that Ochai gets more looks and open looks than he did last year. Um, and maybe, kind of take you back to his sophomore season when Devon Dotson got him and Isaiah Moss uh, a bunch of open looks because he was so dynamic getting to the rim and, and, and getting downhill and attacking the paint and all that stuff, you know? So, um, so I, I'd probably put those two ahead of him. Um, after that, I don't, I don't think, you know, I don't think uh, you can really make that strong a case for anyone else. Um, so I'd put, probably put him right there at third. But if he's, you know, if he's second and, and both he and Ochai are around 13 points a game, you know, and, and it's, it's a matter of percentage points at that point, I, you know, or I'm sorry, uh, you know, 13.3 to 13.1 or something like that. Uh, I guess they'd be tied for second, even if one tire. I, I, I think that could could be very likely. I mean, we've seen so many Bill Self teams over the years, right, that, that a bunch of guys right in that 12 to 14-point range, and I don't know if this will be one, but it certainly has the pieces and the, and the potential to, to fall in that category. And, 
if that's the case, you could be looking at McCormick at 15, Ochai at 13.6, Remy at 12.9, and then, you know, Jalen Wilson at 11, you know, that kind of thing. So I I think there's there's potential for this to be that type of team. Yeah, I I definitely feel like it's trending in a direction where, I mean, it's going to be hard for somebody to average 18, 19, 20 a game given how the ball is going to have to be shared around. So what do you think Remy Martin's biggest contribution to the team should be, could be, however you want to phrase that for the 2021 to 22 season? Honestly, I mean, he, he's talented, right? There's no question about that. And he's got a lot of skills and, and there's a lot that he can do. He's a very, very good basketball player. Um, but for my money, I, I think the most important thing that he is, is going to bring or could bring to this team is from a mindset perspective. Um, I, I just think his fire, his passion, the way he plays, I think that's, that's something that we didn't see a whole lot of last year. We saw it in spurts, but, but it was sometimes forced when we did. Um, it was inconsistent at the very least. And, and, and I just think that they were missing a, a guy like that, an explosive personality, uh, a fiery type of player, a guy who's, you know, willing to compete, um, you know, and just bring everything, all that emotion, all that intensity, all that stuff to the floor. And, you know, by saying this, I'm not saying those guys didn't play hard last year. They, they competed, they were intense, you know, they, they, they did, but this is a whole other display of that. This guy is, is, you know, um, very out there with how fired up he is. And, and I think that that's something that this team can benefit from a, in a big way. I think that's something that that guys naturally will will follow and gravitate toward, and and you may see um, if if Remy is the starting point guard, and if he is able to bring that same intensity and fire that we've seen at Arizona State, if that's him at Kansas, I, you know you may see more of that from Ochai. You may see even more of that from David McCormick and Jalen Wilson and Christian Brown and and uh, and and all the rest of the guys. You know, I mean, there's just to me that's that's so important for a team's mentality and mindset and, and approach just because I think Remy Martin comes in here and, and, and provides that we know we're better than you and we're going to laugh at you when we beat you mentality. I mean, I just think that's how he's wired, and I, I, I don't think he's disrespectful. I just think he, he's confident, he's cocky a little bit, and, and he brings that fire. And, and so I think that can really, really help this team, uh, regardless of what his numbers are. He's going to get numbers. He's going to play well. I mean, there's going to be plenty of things that you can point to statistically that, that, that show you, hey, this is, a, this is a nice addition, or boy, he's really impacted them in this area. But I think that fire, that 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 alpha, that swag, all that stuff, I, th- I think that's going to be one of the more important things that he does for this team. We're talking with Matt Tate of KUSports.com, the LJ World here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So on to the Big 12 stuff. Texas and Oklahoma submitting their letter that they are leaving the Big 12 and then making it official today that they plan on heading to the SEC, which they're just awaiting the vote. I'm sure they'll get in. Doubt any issues there. Uh, what do you view the options and the, maybe the most realistic options for what Kansas could do at this point in time moving forward? Um, yeah, I mean, they can do a lot of things. You know, obviously they, 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 have, they have to figure that out. I, I think there's been a lot of talk out there right now, I mean, I mean from the, the league office all the way down, uh, about these, these eight remaining Big 12 schools wanting to stay solid together, wanting to try to figure this out. 
and that's fine. I don't blame them for feeling that way. I mean, it would be it would be pretty stupid to be upset with Oklahoma and Texas for bailing on you, and then in the same very same week or very same breath, you know, um, kind of just go ahead and say, well, go ahead and do it too. You know, I mean, you can, you kind of undercut yourself if you do it that way. So, I think they have to stay, stay solid and say like you know, we want to continue to explore the idea of what the big 12 future holds and all that stuff. But if that's all they're doing, if that's all any of these schools are doing and they're not making calls and, 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 and exploring their own options outside of the big 12 conference, um, then they're really failing and, and really doing a disservice to their, to their university. So um, my, my guess would be that, that this is, this is, probably the end for for the Big 12. There may be a Big 12 in the future, uh, uh, you know, as it exists in some form, but, um, but, but I think there are going to be a few of these remaining eight that are proactive and get out when they can and, and try to, you know, go save themselves, so to speak. And, and, uh, and I think Kansas should be one of those. I mean, you, you just have to look at the numbers. I mean, I think the Big 12 is a terrific conference. It always has been and in, in terms of just athletically how it's aligned and, 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 you know, it's placed in, in, in college athletics, but it's obviously not the same thing without Oklahoma and Texas. And I just don't care who you think you can bring in to, uh, to, to rebuild the conference. It's, it's just not going to approach what those two teams provide um, from, from, a, from a standpoint of, you know, just being powerhouses, from a standpoint of um, financially, uh, the brand, um, television, households, all that stuff. I mean, it's just, it's, there's not much you can do out there. Now, could they get ultra creative and pu- pull together something that none of us have even thought of yet? I guess the possibility for that still exists and always will exist until, until the end of, the end of it all, you know, but, but short of that, I just, I just don't think it's a very smart plan for, for, for KU anyway. And and that may be different for K state. That may be different for Iowa state. That may be different for Baylor and TCU and whatever, you know, I mean, some of those programs, best future may still lie in a, in a revamped big 12. Um, but I don't think that's probably the case for KU at least as of today. Um, so I, I think, you know, they need to be proactive. I think they need to be aggressive. I think they need to um, shop themselves around and, and really sell themselves. Don't go out there hoping and believing, oh, if somebody's going to want us, you know, hey, we're Kansas. Somebody's going to want us. I mean, y- you can't take that approach. You, you can have that view quietly, but when it comes to being out there, you've, you've got to sell yourself. You've got to go out there and say, this is why you want us, not hope that somebody does, you know, and, and so, um, you know, if that happens, then, then, you know, then, then the big 12 takes another hit because now you've lost your top, top two football brands and then you've taken your, your, your top basketball brand and it's gone somewhere else. And, and so that makes it harder to see the big 12 living through that too, you know? So, I, I mean, I think the options are, 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 are plentiful. Um, some are certainly better than others. And I, I just don't know how high I rank KU sticking around and trying to rebuild the Big 12 one more time is. I mean, it, it may be better than moving to the Pac-12, but, but the, even that's a maybe. Um, and, and, but, but obviously, if you can get into the Big 10 or you can get into the ACC, you got to jump on that as, as quickly as you can. I just think it's, it, it provides stability. It provides financial um, knowledge and, and gain. Uh, there's, there's just a lot to like there. So um, if it doesn't go that way, and if this thing ends up with KU having to stick around 
and and be a part of a revamped Big 12. Uh, it, it's going to be a major, major hit financially. And, uh, you know, that's something they'll have to overcome. But beyond that, I think at that point, KU would have to flex its muscles and, and try to be in the new conference um, a little more like Texas has been in, in, in the Big 12 to date. I mean, I, you know, you don't have to be a problem. You don't have to be uh, a, 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 a university or an athletic program that continues to look and leave and, and just doesn't care about anybody else or anything like that. You know, you can still be a good teammate, so to speak. You can still be a quality, uh, cooperative member of that new revamped conference. But, I think it would be in KU's best interest to just try to put its brand out there and say, like, hey, we're the best you got now. You, you know, yeah, you may have some nice football schools in here that have good years every once in a while, but but our basketball brand is as big as it gets, and, and that's the best thing you have going for you consistently year in and year out. So we're going to flex our muscles, and we're going to be the big dogs in this new conference. And, you know, that, that, that doesn't have – you don't have to release a statement saying that, right? You just have to act and show it and be that way. And, and so – um, like I said, I don't know that that's how it's going to go down, but if, if KU winds up in the Big 12 and, and whether they view that as this is our best path forward or do, doggone it, we got stuck here. Either way, if that's what ends up happening, I think they have to, they have to kind of take that, that approach and, and just try to be the, the, the big dogs and, and, and see what that does for you. But um, the financial part of it is very, very scary for KU for sure. Um, especially when you consider all the facilities upgrades that they would like to do uh, in their football program. Uh, you lose anywhere from 15 to $25 million a year from your conference revenue hall annually. That's, that's hard. That, that, that makes that really, really hard. So uh, it's going to be a wild several months, potentially a wild several years. Um, but I do continue to feel and believe and, and talk to people that think that, that KU is going to find a spot. Um, it's just a matter of how they want the, how they want the, uh, the, the, the path to be laid out and how active they want to be early and, and, and all those things. But man, I'm, I'm really glad I get to cover it and, and don't have to decide it because <laughs> I covering it is hard enough, but deciding this stuff, that, that's a whole other, a whole other challenge. And, and, um, and it goes so far beyond Travis Goff. Um, you know, he'll have a big part in it, and he's obviously the AD. But, um, you know, it, it's just not – I mean, this is – so much of this happens above his head at the, at the presidential and chancellor level, um, you know, with legislatures. I mean, there's just, there's just so much that, that is beyond just the department. So it, it's – it's going to be a wild, wild time, and, and uh, you know, not just at Kansas, but across the country probably, and, and certainly in the SEC and, and with big uh, Texas and OU and, and the rest of the eight teams and, and all that. So, it, it, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm glad I get to cover it. I'm sure there will be days where I wish I didn't, but I am, uh, <laughs> I'm glad I get to cover it and don't have to sit there and make these really, really tough decisions that, that you know, may uh, determine the, the, the next 20, 30, 40 years of some of these universities. It's crazy. Do you think there's extra pressure now on K? I mean, we, we don't know when this is all going to occur. Technically, by all accounts, by the state's statements, Texas and Oklahoma are fine uh, right now, kind of being the good boy and, and sitting there and saying yes, sir, and saying we'll stick in the, the rest of the conference till 2025 when the media rights are up. But it seems like that's just kind of putting on a show, and it sounds like, according to a lot of people, they are going to try 
fighting tooth and nail to get out of it, whether that's with attorneys, whether that's paying a buyout in somewhere or another, hoping the Big 12 dissipates, whatever it is. But knowing that this could be a longer process, even if it is another year or two, even if it is the full four years, how much pressure is there on the KU football team to become a more relevant program in the, I guess, next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I think the pressure was probably pretty high to begin with, um, really, because whether you thought it was going to happen now, which no one did, or you were always kind of eyeing 2025 when when the grant of rights agreement was, was going to be uh, up anyway. I mean, I think, you know, that's not that far away all of a sudden. So the, the, the pressure has definitely always been there. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I think in some ways that's, that's good news for KU because they now have a guy who can handle that. Um, you know, I think Lance Leipold's pressure meter is just the same every time, everywhere he's been. I think he, he just views this thing as I'm coaching football. I'm doing it the way I know how to do it. I'm working my butt off and, and I've, I guess I've shown that, that I get good results. So I'm going to continue to do that here and, and not change anything. And, and, you know, and now he, he may be able to operate that way. And if some of the outside influences, whether it's in the department or, or donors or whatever, start to feel that pressure, then, then that could change the dynamic a little bit there. But I think, I think it stays the same for the most part. I mean, I think, I think people are impressed by the guy. I think people like the guy. I think he's, he's, uh, he's, uh, as we've talked about, you know, on the show, I mean, he, he appears to be the right man for the job. And so you just have to take that, take that, medicine now and, and be patient and, and wait it out and hope that that's correct and hope that he's the guy that can get it going. Um, but, I, but I, you know, I tend to think that and there's enough respect even around the country for him that, that even just his presence as the head football coach at Kansas gives them a little bit more of a, 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 a little more juice, a little bit more stability. I mean, like you, you, you see these other conferences that may or may not be, trying to decide whether they want to pick KU up and, and they look at the football program and they say, okay, well, Hey, you know what? He hasn't done it yet, but gosh, at least that guy's track record's good. And our football coaches and these schools know him and like him and think he's going to do, do the job there. And, you know, so it just gives you a little bit, just a little bit of hope there. Um, but, but I'm with you. I mean, getting back to the, getting back to the four year thing. I mean, there's, there's just no way that that's going to happen, right? I mean, there's just, there's right. no way they're going to to be in this conference. The Texas and OU are going to be in this conference for four more years. I just cannot see it. So um, right now, I think they're they're kind of uh, you know saying the right things, like you mentioned the good the yes sir stuff and all that, and and just kind of taking it to the uh, approach of well, we're going to try to say we're going to fulfill our our duties. And then if they don't want us here for four years, then that's on them. And, you know, and then maybe you, like you said, you, you get a better settlement. Your penalties are cut in half because the big 12 is now kicking you out instead of you leaving them. And so it's all semantics. It's all strategy. It's all, you know, it's all just part of the process, but um, I, I just can't see the big 12 letting them be two lame duck programs for the next four years. I mean, Obviously, you know, there'd be reasons to think that is an advantage, but the TV, the TV deal's in place, and it's signed. And so um, I don't know how much you risk there, um, but maybe some. I mean, this is, you know, it's just one, 
one layer of of shoveling after the next it seems like you you know you think you finally hit the bottom and and oh no we can take a little more sand out and dig this hole a little deeper and it gets uglier and it gets nastier and darker and you know all that stuff so um i i i don't feel like there's a ton of pressure added because of this but but the pressure is still very much there um it's 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 obviously critical. It has been. It's been known that it was going to be critical for ten years, eleven years, and uh, and, and they haven't got it done. And, and now they're starting to see that that their failures in that department could be very, very costly. Um, so you can't do anything about the past. Uh, all you can do is is hope that you've got a, a good future in place and. And and then be patient and see what happens. But but that's just with football. With with regard to finding a home and and solidifying your conference affiliation for the future and all that stuff, uh, I don't think you have to be patient at all on that. I mean, of course, there's some element of patience that plays there, but but you need to be proactive. You need to find the absolute best spot you can. And if you believe that's in the Big Twelve, then so be it. But um, it's hard to see that today. So. Um, Go out there, see what you can find, see what you can get. Because whether you want to be loyal or not, whether you believe in 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 all that stuff about you know tradition and oh, our our history with these other programs, college athletics is changing all around us, all over the place right now. So the the, the tradition, um, the 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 loyalty, the history, those types of things, as much as they matter and they do mean stuff, still. The whole thing's changing. The rules are changing. The game's changing. The landscape's changing. Everything about college athletics that we've all known for the last 100 or 200 or however many years, um, it's all changing. So don't, I, I just would advise anyone, KU or otherwise, to just not get too caught up in the, the history and tradition and loyalty part of it because that's all about to go out the window anyway. It's all a different game. So you have to act accordingly and you have to do what's in the best interest of, of your athletes and your coaches and your department and your programs and all that stuff. And, and I think they will, I, I do, but um, uh, it, it, it's, it's certainly not, not going to be any picnic and, and it's going to be some long nights and hard days and hard months and, and, and tough conversations and all kinds of things. So uh, buckle up. It's going to be very, very fun to watch, but um, it, it, it's going to have lots of twists and turns and ups and downs. I would believe. He is Matt Tate. You can check out all his work. KUSports.com and in the LJ world. Matt, thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Always good, Derek. Take care. All right, that's Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com, joining us as he does every Tuesday here on Rock Shock Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017-1320-KLWN. Depend on it. We continue on with our KU football opponent season previews here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320KLWN. The next opponent on the ledger is Texas Tech. And this has been a matchup the last two years that by aggregate total score has actually been even for KU. Now, there's still obviously another jump to be made for KU to hit the tier of the next best teams in the Big 12. And Texas Tech is proof of that. You still go four and six and three and six in conference play, and what maybe I don't know. Some are considering, I guess, a down season for them. We're now joined by Chris Level of RedRaiderSports.com. He is the co-host of Tech Talk on Double T ninety-seven three and the sideline reporter for Texas Tech football. Chris, how would you kind of describe how last season went for the Red Raiders? Well, I mean, I, I think uh, ultimately it came down to just 
losing too many close games. Um, that's, uh, that, that's what separated, uh, you know, you from being in a, having a good season to, to, uh, being below 500 bottom line. And I think, uh, that, that's the, uh, the goal for this year that that had to do with, uh, you know, less than stellar quarterback play or inconsistent quarterback play. It had to do with, uh, a field goal kicker that was 20 of 22 the year before, and then last year just just couldn't figure it out and was eventually pulled and those those two things i think just ultimately led to to you kind of not being able to 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 win some of those close games and uh you end up with just the the four wins and i know there was a lot of turnover issue there with fumbles and interceptions alan bowman now out at quarterback Tyler Shug comes in as the transfer, and I, I don't know if he's expected to be the starter, if he's just competing right now, if they won't know till camp occurs in, in August. But what is kind of the state of the quarterback position for Texas Tech? Yeah, Derek, I, I would tell you that this is this is Tyler Shuck's job to lose. Um, you know, I think that's the expectation. It does not mean he's going to be the starter or that he's been named the starter, but that, that is the expectation he's got. You know, easily the most upside and, and experience, and and he's won. And you know, I think that there, there's a reason he did leave Oregon. It, it didn't uh, it, it didn't end like he wanted it to, but but he quarterbacked a team to a uh, Pac-12 championship and into, into a bowl game and, and and all those things. So, but I think that he was looking for a change of scenery. He's originally from Arizona, and so I think that he's going to be the, uh, the the eventually the, the starter here, whether that be a week into August or late in August. But that that'll be the the you know the news that everybody gets for sure. And seven starters back to the offense from a season ago. Sonny Cumbie comes in as the offensive coordinator previously at TCU. Are you expecting anything different from what the offense is going to look like? I mean, how departed are we from the days of, I guess, Cliff Kingsbury, just kind of the, the run and gun or the Mike Leach era at Texas Tech? You know, it's funny you say that because I think that that's what this will look. Uh, you, you actually kind of got away from that the last two years with David Yost as the coordinator. Um, I think, I think it, it'll it'll look more like uh, what what Cliff did and what Neil Brown did when he was the offensive coordinator here under Tommy Tuberville, in that. It'll be multiple. I mean, I think you'll run as much four wide as you'll run like two back stuff. I think that, you know, they they were very plain uh, here in the last two years. They ran 11 personnel, you know, which is obviously one back, one tight end. They ran that basically 99% of the time, and their goal was just to, to go really fast. I think that the, the fun thing about what Cliff and, and to a certain extent what Neil did they would game plan to attack the opponent and they would major in different things kind of week to week, depending on where the opponent was weakest. You know, we want to stretch the field or we want to pound them, you know, now ideally it's difficult to, to, to do that. Uh, but that's, that's what Sonny will do. And I think, you know, so that we, we've seen a lot of, of what he did in the spring and he's going to move the quarterback around. He's going to run the quarterbacks. That's what he did at TCU, uh, co- coaching there. So, uh, we'll, we'll kind of see how long it takes to get it to where they want to get it. But yeah, I think they feel very good about, you know, the, the, the quarterback position and, and, you know, him, him installing the scheme this spring. Overall on the offense, is there a strength and a weakness that, uh, maybe something needs to be answered right now that you don't totally know about as far as different positional units. 
Well, uh, th- there's not a whole lot they can do about it. I, I, I think they lack a little bit of, uh, of of second team type depth on the offensive line. I think they feel good about their starters, but I think that you know that if, if they get dinged up there, they could get thin really quickly. Um, there, there's some inexperience uh, in, in the second tier of their wide receivers. Uh, I think they feel really good about the depth at running back. Uh, I mean, it's, it's probably the best linebacking group that's been around here maybe in 20 years. Uh, and, and that's saying a lot. I mean, you said a first-round draft pick a couple of years ago, Jordan Brooks to the Seahawks. But, you know, that, that he was one of about two or three guys that they felt really good about. I think in this case they feel really good about four to six of them. And, you know, Rico Jeffers and Colin Schooler are the two main names there. They've been named to the watch list and, you know, and all, all these different things. Uh, and so, I, but, but the defense is definitely older. It's experienced. And I think uh, that, that that's where, as the season rolls along, that they'll kind of carry the, the load of this team, which it sounds crazy to talk about a Texas Tech team that way. But, you know, they've added, you know, a couple of starters in the secondary via the portal. And they've, they've certainly done, done, done their, their due diligence on just adding depth in general, you know, from everybody from a player to, from Wisconsin to UCLA to Duke, uh, on and on it goes. And then they, I think that this team has more super seniors returning than anybody else in the Big 12. I think they're like, like 12 or 13 of them from last year, so they'll be really old, and most of those guys are on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, You mentioned some of the transfers into the program overall uh, with this whole team. How, how did they approach the transfer portal? Did they hit it hard? I mean, uh, was that a big boon to the team headed into this year? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they – they definitely uh, went all in. Uh, they, they kind of had, had maintained. I think Matt Matt Wells has kind of maintained for the last couple of years. We're, we're going to sign about half and half. We're going to you know go go with the high school prospects and you know sign ten to twelve, but then the other scholarships are going to go to older pieces. And essentially, since last season ended, they've added a starter at what we think is quarterback, at left tackle, at wide receiver, uh, at corner, at safety. Um, trying to think of what else, uh, but but they they probably added I don't know ten pieces uh, from the portal that they feel like are upper tier, you know, and, and and these are guys that they probably wouldn't normally have had a chance to get out of high school. That's where the portal helps programs like uh, a Texas Tech, you know, when you're trying to recruit against the Oklahomas and the Texases and all all that. It, it's hard to, to get top, but but now you've got experienced guys, and you know, like TJ Storm in a perfect example. I think the relationship with Sonny Cumbie certainly helps there, but he's a he's an all conference type offensive tackle, and you, you just granted you're just going to get him for one year, but it, it's certainly a nice piece to add in a in a season where you you, you lost uh, some guys to graduation on an offensive line. We're talking with Chris Level here on RCST previewing Texas Tech. Last year, sixteen to thirteen, it was an ugly game to say the least. Tech dominated in yards, but had four turnovers, which led to KU being a little bit closer there at the end. Is there anything you remember from last year's game that stuck out to you? <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it was ugly. Uh, Matt Wells and and a few other coaches were you know out because of COVID. It was just, I remember there was rumors about that game maybe not even going to be played because of some of the COVID issues that Kansas had, that Tech had, you know, they, you know, in the Big 12 was, you know, I think it basically said, hey, that, that's fine. 
if you don't want to do it, but we're going to do it again in another week or two. So I think everybody just kind of rolled up their sleeves and got through it because neither team was going to go to a bowl game or anything like that. But yeah, it was just an ugly, ugly day of football that uh, was low scoring and I think everybody was done, kind of glad to be done with it after, you know, just an exhausting year with all the COVID stuff and, and the seasons hadn't gone uh, like, like neither school had hoped. And, but that, that, that's kind of what I remember walking off the field that day. And the total score, as I mentioned earlier, tied between the two of these over the last two years with KU winning in Lawrence, Tech winning in Lubbock. Is that a little bit of, of danger talk for Texas Tech with Matt Wells, the idea that, hey, this is supposed to be the, the bottom feeder program, we can't be tied with this team that has kind of led to, I don't know if there's hot seat talk at all with, with Matt Wells. Well, yeah, there there is some pressure on Matt, but that's exactly why that that's the kind of thing why they, they just didn't score enough points around here uh, in the last two years to to satisfy what I think this program is capable of, and I think that's why there was a change at, at offensive coordinator because it it uh, you know when you're when you're when you can't score enough points in the Big Twelve, you know to. To, to win and your defense did improve, you know, statistically and otherwise. It, it wasn't it wasn't uh, an upper tier defense, but it was much better than it had been. But then all of a sudden, the offense like is is not you know able to consistently score. But it, it's so funny because you go to Oklahoma State on a Saturday morning, uh, I think in the, in November, and you score like you know forty seven points, and it's not good enough to win. So it was just kind of uh, it, it, consistency was the issue, but. I think that's exactly why Sonny Cumbie is now in charge of the offense because of uh, the low scoring that you talked about. He is Chris Level, RedRaiderSports.com, co-host of Tech Talk and a sideline reporter for the Texas Tech football radio crew. Chris, thank you so much for your time, and uh, good luck this season. Maybe talk to you down the road in uh, October when KU and Texas Tech are lining them up. Sounds good, man. When you figure out what conference we're all in uh, going forward, man, let me know. (laughs) Absolutely. Thanks again, Chris. All right, you bet. All right, that was Chris Level joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017-1320-KLWN. We will continue on with our KU football season previews in the coming days, in the coming weeks here on RCSD. Coming up in a little bit at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we'll be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. I'm Derek Johnson. Keep it locked in on KLWN. Depend on it. Oklahoma and Texas made it official today of their plan to join the SEC. Now, it obviously still has to go through the process of the SEC voting. Seems like a foregone conclusion, as we've kind of alluded to. Texas A&M might vote against it, but they'd still need several other votes to get the no on Texas, and there's just too much money to be had for them to avoid it. One thing that I've found kind of interesting, we'll talk a little about this with Kevin Flaherty, who's going to join us at the top of the 5 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Stuart Mandel has been pretty, and and he's not the only one, he's just one of the bigger talking heads to talk about it, works for The Athletic, discussing the idea of none of the Big 12 teams are in a good position to go anywhere because they're not going to move the needle as far as TV markets and that sort of thing. And he wrote a piece today that went over and looked at the viewership of different games in the Big 12 and how it has been severely weighted toward the games featuring Oklahoma and Texas. Not overly a surprise. But what is a bit of a surprise is how little views there have been for some of the other schools. 
And that could be a potential roadblock, again, in schools like Kansas or Oklahoma State or whoever, in trying to find another conference. Because why would that conference want to bring them on if they're not going to add to kind of their TV viewing? But this is from average TV audience from 2018 to 2019. Oklahoma's average audience was 3.76 million. Texas was 3.2 million. The others were about 8.9 or 890,000. So what is that, about a quarter of the amount? We already talked about yesterday, Dennis Dodd in his piece estimated anywhere between a 50 to 75% drop in the media rights for the Big 12. And there would obviously be a big drop with Texas and Oklahoma gone. And then when you have to re-up your rights in 2025, it would drop even more. Surely you could go out and maybe add some AAC schools or add a Boise State or a BYU, and maybe that helps a little bit. But it's not moving the needle to the same amount of Oklahoma and Texas, and you're going to be a lot closer in terms of your media rights what ESPN or whoever Fox is paying your conference than what you're getting now. Right now you're getting almost $40 million. You might be getting single-digit million dollars, you know, seven, eight, nine, maybe 15 at a max million dollars in the new landscape of the Big 12. That's obviously a big issue. So a lot of the schools might try to leave, but why would a school in the Big 10 come out and say, yeah, but then we're going to have to split our pie even more, and you're not Oklahoma or Texas who's going to add to the team here? You're not going to add to the viewership of the conference. I think it's an interesting point, and I'm not saying it's wrong. I just, I'm a little confused because of the fact that, well, then why do we even have some of these schools in these conferences anyway? Like, why is Vanderbilt in the SEC? Why is, I don't know, Rutgers in the Big Ten? I feel like there's more to it than just the TV viewership. Obviously, the TV viewership is huge. It's gigantic. In, in the importance of this. It's important for football. But what about the TV viewership for basketball? What about the academic side of it? What about the money a program brings in just from the prestige and the brand? What about the expanding your media market, so to speak, by expanding into different states and areas that you weren't before? Again, the the football, the viewership, and your ability in football, it matters what about that other stuff? What about the revenue? I think it all does matter. So to just peg it to one category, I think is silly. I think it'd be silly to say, well, they're not good at football, so they can't join a conference. Or they're not good at basketball, so they can't join a conference. Or they have bad academics, so they can't join a conference. If you have a collection of those things, maybe that's the case. But what happens if you hit five out of six categories, you just don't have good TV viewership for football? Is that the nail in the coffin? It might be. I, I honestly don't know the question there, the answer there. But again, I go back to Big Ten added Rutgers. Was that about raising TV viewership? Or was that just to add a media market in the New York area? Is Vanderbilt in the SEC because they're getting a lot of eyeballs there? Or is Vanderbilt, like, I don't know. Do you need filler teams in the conferences? Are these just, these just pre-grandfathered in teams to their specific conferences? I just find it odd. And I, I don't necessarily totally buy the notion of, well, if you don't raise our TV viewership, we're not letting you in the conference. It might end up happening that way. There's also a case to be made that you need security right now, so gobble up as many teams as possible because who knows what the next team that the SEC is going to poach from your conference. Imagine that. 
Imagine if, because we haven't heard or we didn't hear the talks between Oklahoma and Texas in the SEC for, there were reports anywhere from six months to a year that they were talking about this. Six months to a year. And nothing leaked out until last week. And now it's a done deal a week later. Who is to say that the SEC isn't engaged right now with Clemson or Florida State or Miami or Ohio State or Michigan or USC? Who's to say they're not? Who's to say they're not just saying, hey, let's just snag all the best brands in college athletics? Mentioned yesterday, there's the rumor going around that the SEC could kind of secede from the NCAA and basically own their own title games and own their own rights of postseason tournaments and be able to institute their own rules like scholarship limits and scheduling and all that stuff. Who's to say they wouldn't just tell that to other conferences and that would be more appealing to some of the bigger schools? It's basically the Super League idea in soccer that basically got nixed by fans. But it's not being nixed here in the U.S., which is kind of funny. It's just a more American way of sports, I guess, and it feels like that's the way we're trending. But again, I go back to the idea of, are you really saying every Big 12 school is just screwed, they're stranded on an island, nobody's going to want them because of the fact that, well, if you don't raise the average number of TV viewers, you're worthless because nothing else that you do matters. I think the other stuff does matter at least a little bit. And I think there is inherent value in that. Otherwise, why would these conferences have the Vanderbilts and the Rutgers and so forth? But maybe the answer to that question is just the fact of what I was saying with the Super Leagues. Maybe that's where we're trending. And eventually the SEC is going to say, no, buzz off Vanderbilt. And they're just going to go to a league where it's, I don't know, Alabama, Clemson, Florida State, Oklahoma, Texas, LSU, Georgia, Florida, whatever, name your other big college football or SEC schools. It's just those. And they kick out the Vanderbilts of the world. They kick out the South Carolinas of the world or whoever. I, I don't know who does the most with viewership and stuff of some of the other schools in that league, but it seems like that is the way we are trending right now. And I don't think there's any reason not to believe the SEC, whether there are conversations ongoing with some of those other schools. How could we not believe, given what happened to Texas and Oklahoma, they haven't at least reached out and at least tried to get some of these other schools on board? And we're talking about, well, the Big Ten or the ACC, they could try to stave off the the SEC and maybe they do a merger with each other. Well, what happens if, if Clemson and Florida State leave the ACC? Then at that point, what are you left with there? What are you left with Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, so forth, go to the SEC? What happens if the SEC and Big Ten just create a merger? We're kind of operating from the standpoint of what happens to the rest of the Big 12 teams, to the Big 10, ACC, Pac-12, scoop anybody up. What happens if the SEC just scoops up everybody? Everybody that they want. Everybody of worth. At least from a football perspective. And that's their thing. They just want to become the football conference, which, you know, more power to you to, to do it. Football is the biggest moneymaker for college athletics. There isn't anything stopping them, is the answer to that question. So there's kind of two sides to that. For one, the idea that these Big 12 schools are just screwed because the the lack of TV viewership. If you're talking about them remaining in the conference or trying to add some AAC teams, then yeah. 
that probably does mean they're screwed because the TV revenue and the media rights agreements are going to drop. But as far as it being the only thing that matters for these schools to go to other conferences, I don't necessarily 100% buy that given that you still have some of these smaller schools who aren't raising the value in football TV viewership in these conferences. And yet, they seem to be okay with that. But, at the same point in time, seems like a Super League is coming. And maybe those schools will be a thing of the past. Maybe we'll look at it in 10 years from now. And the SEC is like a 30-team league with the best college football schools around the country. And then it's the SEC, the FBS, and the FCS, right? The way we look at the FBS and the FCS, that's what we're going to look at, like the SEC versus the rest of the FBS. It's just going to be different level playing fields. It's going to be different tiers of competition. Seems like we're kind of trending that way. FM 1017, 1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, Something else that I wanted to get to that we haven't is Lance Leipold speaking at Big 12 Media Days the other week. We mentioned consistency was kind of a key word along that whole process. And a big part of that is the staff coming over. We've talked about the different staff they've had, especially with Andy Kotelnicki, the offensive coordinator, coming over in Borland as the defensive coordinator. But you really got a good answer from Leipold talking about the different staff consistencies at Big 12 Media Days. This was when he was actually being interviewed by ESPN before he went up at the podium. I thought it was a good answer, and I think it's worth sharing as KU tries to figure out their football program and get on a more balanced standing to find themselves a more appetizing program to be picked up by maybe some of these other conferences. You know, seven seven on-field coaches from Buffalo came here uh, with me. Five will be on the field. Um, five five coaches that were here previously. So like you said, it was a blend and it was not going to be a situation with our uh, position coaches that um, I felt was going to be advantageous to our program, to our philosophies, to our culture, that we were going to go outside of the two programs to, uh, to uh, kind of start this thing off. Um, you know, you look at our two coordinators, Andy Kolnicki uh, was our coordinator all six years at Buffalo. Um, he was coordinator last two years at Wisconsin Whitewater. I've known Andy for a, for a long time. So, uh, you know, we're going on year nine together. Brian Borland, our defensive coordinator, will be on year 15 together. And so right there from philosophy and, and really scheme thoughts, a lot of those things are going to stay consistent. Um, Scott Fuchs, our offensive line coach, Jim Zabrowski, our quarterbacks coach are the other two that came along that will be on field um, from, from Buffalo, Jim Zabrowski um, was our offensive coordinator my first three years at, at Whitewater. He and Andy work extremely well together. Scott Fuchs has done an outstanding job uh, as in the offensive line. Chris Simpson's the other coach, uh, our linebackers coach, and has filled many roles for us at, at, at Buffalo, and he was also – um, with me at Whitewater one year. I've known Chris since he was in high school. So that continuity was extremely important. And then, and then the guys that stayed first started with Emmett, Emmett Jones and who was the interim during the spring and coach Jones has done an outstanding job of, you know, really holding this team together. 
bringing enthusiasm and energy. And he was the first coach I sat down with when uh, when I met with the staff. And obviously, that's not always the easiest conversation. And uh, as we start talking, and, and he wanted to be here, and he's committed to Kansas football and, and to these young men. And uh, I, I could not be more pleased with the way it's worked out. And I'm really leaning on, on Emmett for a lot of things. And uh, I know he feels... Uh, uh, you know, very good about uh, the direction things have been heading. So, um, you know, again, and, and the outstanding job that he's done in recruiting really the, the right there where you're at in, in the Dallas area is going to be key for our program. Jonathan Wallace will be our running backs coach. Uh, Chavis Jackson, Quan Drake uh, will be uh, uh, our corners coach and defensive tackles coach. And Jake Schoonover, who really just arrived uh, shortly um, before the head coaching change was made, came over from Bowling Green. Um, he's a Kansas City native, uh, area native, and has done, will give us a great boost in the area recruiting, is going to coach our defensive ends and coordinate the special teams. Rob Ionello has been a longtime recruiting coordinator. Mm -hmm. I was, um, you know, I worked with Rob at the University of Wisconsin. He's, uh, you know, been at Notre Dame, Arizona, some other things, and coordinated a lot of recruiting efforts along the way, a lot of different places, was with us the whole time at, at Buffalo, will be our general manager, and, you know, really be kind of my right-hand man in a lot of different things, and to have Rob here is uh, definitely was a, a key component as well. So a lot of continuity with the staff coming over, and I think there is added pressure on KU to figure out the football program at a faster rate given the expansion talk. I mean, if we're going to go back to the TV audience viewing thing, that might not matter whether you're six and six or three and nine. But I think it matters from a perception expectation. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't mean you got to win four or five games this year, but certainly maybe the pressure's more on that by year three, you can figure it out and be contending toward a bowl game in that situation. It's going to be very important. The one higher that I'm I'm curious on is the Rabbi and Ella one, just because that didn't go well in the past when he was under staff of Charlie Weiss. But who knows? Maybe second chance is all you need. All right, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. We'll talk more of this Big 12 and college football realignment season with Kevin. That on the other side. 5 o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk, FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Kevin Flaherty, 24-7 Sports, now joins us on the show. A lot going on in the college landscape right now with Texas and Oklahoma going off to the SEC. The plan in the statements says that Oklahoma and Texas are planning on sticking around through the media rights agreements. A lot of people are surmising that this is just legal talk and that they're going to fight tooth and nail to try to get out of it some way or another. So, Kevin, if I gave you over-under on the Big 12 lasting to, uh, I'll say, 2023 and a half. What would you take there? I, I would probably take the under, Derek. I, I think that, you know, it, it's looking pretty likely to to be just, you know, reading the tea leaves that this is something that is probably going to get done sooner rather than later. And obviously everything is locked in for the upcoming season. It's not like, you know, Texas and Oklahoma all of a sudden are going to play in the SEC in two months. But I do think that there's a reasonable path for Texas and Oklahoma to be playing in the SEC the, the year after that. And I don't think that 
that necessarily all has to do with with Texas and Oklahoma and them shelling out, you know, the $80 million a piece. I think a lot of it has to do with the rest of the Big 12 is kind of one big game of chicken right now, right? Because you have eight teams left. You know, everybody who wants the conference to stay says, you know, maybe add a, a couple schools out of Memphis, a Houston, a UCF, you know, Colorado State, et cetera. But if you're sitting there and you're one of the Big 12 teams that potentially has the option to go to another Power 5 league, whether it's West Virginia, whether it's Kansas, whether it's Iowa State or, or Oklahoma State, you know, you're kind of looking across that table, I think, and you don't want to get, be the one that left, held it, left holding the bag. And I think that that's the thing that, that could eventually help you know, Oklahoma and Texas out of this thing is, you know, it's kind of started down this path and, and now everybody else has to, to really decide, hey, how committed to the Big 12 are we? Should we go ahead and, and lock up our place in somewhere a, a little more stable? Yeah, I, I, I mean, do you think that at this point the Big 12 is more likely to just dissipate around Texas and Oklahoma? Or do you think it's more likely that Texas and Oklahoma just pay the massive buyout in some way or another, try to get around it in legal ways. You know, I, I think I think there's a doorway that the Big 12 could go through and continue to continue on as a league. I, I think obviously you're going to be diminished. And when you look at the viewership numbers, when you look at the revenue numbers and everything else, you know, Texas is a revenue monster. You know, when I – when I covered Texas, you know, back in the in the Mac Brown era, uh, a booster kind of raised some eyebrows because he he joked that you know all the money that ain't up under the Vatican is at UT, <laughs> and, and, and you know jo- jokes aside, you know Texas is the number one team in the entire or the number one school in the entire country in terms of revenue, and and Oklahoma, while there's a gap between Texas and, and you know mortals, I guess. Oklahoma's top five, top ten. And so when you lose two schools like that that bring the viewership, the television sets, the revenue, all of those things, you're not going to replace them and get a like-for-like replacement. There isn't an Oklahoma that's sitting out there. You're not going to bring Ohio State from the Big Ten and Notre Dame and say, okay, we we wound up being just as strong. Now, you can be a little bit creative and and maybe look at some places that bring in some new uh, media markets that aren't currently getting tapped, you know, some places that are are big schools that that have successful football that could potentially bring in some viewership. Yeah, there there are some creative ways to keep the Big 12 chugging along. At the same time, I I think it's going to be really, really tough you know, for for some of those schools, like I said, that do have those options to to kind of sit there and say, okay, I'm I'm gonna you know lock in and hold on to my chair as tightly as I can and hope that this thing works out, as opposed to saying, hey, let's talk to this other conference and see if we can do something. There was uh, an article from Stuart Mandel today in the Athletic talking about the lack of TV viewership for the different schools compared to Oklahoma and Texas, who both averaged over 3 million viewers per game, whereas the rest of the conference on average was in the hundreds of thousands, under a million. And he kind of surmised to think that 
well, maybe these schools won't have a ton of value in finding another conference because this isn't the same landscape 10 years ago when it was just about expanding media markets with the different cable subscriptions, and now it's it's a little less about that. Do you buy into that idea, or do you think there's more uh, kind of on the plate than just the TV viewership that the conferences of maybe the Big Ten, Pac-12, ACC are considering in maybe poaching some of these other leftover Big 12 schools? You know, I, I think there's a there's a formula, Derek, and I think that that's one slice of it, and admittedly a, a pretty healthy slice. I think that you also look at the potential for viewership, and, and so you look at at programs that maybe have a chance to to expand or, or have better viewership, depending on results, depending on you know funding, whether a program is set up to succeed over the next five or ten years, specifically from a football standpoint. And I, I think, you know, you look at when you look at the Big Ten and possibly expanding, you know, the Big Ten has almost infamously, if you will, you know, the schools that they have looked at have been AAU schools academically. And one of the things that is great about joining the Big Ten, I, I guess you would say, is the fact that there's a lot of academic research money out there to be had if you were in the Big Ten. And it can really improve your academic standing to get there. The Big 12 only has two AAU schools when you take out, you know, Texas and, and Oklahoma going to the SEC, and that's Kansas and Iowa State. That's a portion of it if you're talking specifically about the Big 10. And and there are conferences for which, you know, Kansas's basketball program is going to factor in. I know, I know it's not football and football is the primary driver in all of this. But that doesn't mean it's the only driver because there are relatively few basketball programs that have not just the cachet, but the money-making ability that a Duke or a North Carolina or a Kentucky or a Kansas does. And so that is a factor, even if it's not as big of a factor as, you know, being in the middle of New York with, you know, a football program that generates a, a ton of revenue and, and viewership, you know, in sort of this ideal world, that basketball program is going to factor in and, and is going to at least be part of that equation, even if it's a smaller part of it. So let's say Kansas hypothetically is on the market. I, I don't even think that's hypothetical at this point. <laughs> um, and the Big Ten, ACC, Pac-12, all of those three different conferences approach you. And I, I don't know if that would even happen, but let's say hypothetically it did. Which one would you be most inclined to join if you were KU? You know, I, I would think that the Big Ten would, would make a lot of sense, both from a cultural standpoint, you know, an academic standpoint. You know, I, I think when you look at Kansas and Nebraska, you know, you have pretty similar dynamics there. Nebraska no longer being an AAU school, but was an AAU school when it went to the Big Ten in the first place. Obviously, differences in football programs, but I mean, you know, school size, academics, um, and the different, you know, things in viewership and things like that. Um, I, I think that that makes a lot of sense. You look at, at Iowa being there as well. You know, you, you go to either coast, and it's going to make for some fun road trips, obviously, and I'm not going to lie, I wouldn't mind – you know, a trip out to Southern California in the middle of the fall or a trip down to, you know, Tallahassee in the middle of the fall, you know, for, for that matter. But at the same time, I, I think when you look at the entire, uh, when you look at the entire picture, I think that 
it's maybe shaded in the best with the Big Ten. You have the most, you know, the, the best overlapping of circles with what Kansas brings, with what Kansas would potentially want and what the Big Ten has. And so I would think that that would be the best fit at the same time. If it comes up, obviously, the, that the Big Ten is in, you know, in a position to take Kansas for, for whatever reason, uh, I think that, you know, you're, you're kind of looking at, at that point, hey, where, where can we lay our heads at night and, and still be in a Power Five conference? Because I think that that's important, not just for the continued development of, of KU football and, and everything else, but, you know, for the sort of the, the image and everything else of the university as well is, is for Kansas to be at that level. We're talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here. Let's say that that doesn't happen and you're unable to secure one of the other Power 5 or I guess at that point Power 4 options in the college landscape. Would that be detrimental to KU basketball, KU football in any way? I mean, I guess to what severity would that be detrimental to drop off to a conference like the American Athletic Conference or the Mountain West? You know, I think you can still be successful in basketball in those places. I don't know that you're going to be quite as successful, but, you know, you look at college basketball has kind of a a power six rather than a power five. You know, they call it the major conferences. You throw the Big East in there, you know, and Villanova is FCS in football and obviously has not struggled much in basketball and has been able to recruit at a high level. Bill Self recently said, and Scott Chasen at at Bob.net really wrote a nice piece on it, that he thinks the best recruiting team in the country right now is Gonzaga. And obviously, you know, we've all heard the complaints that Gonzaga, you know, doesn't play anybody once they get into conference play, et cetera. And so I do think the basketball part, you know, maybe there's a chance that, that you slide a, a slight bit in, in terms of what you're recruiting or, or what you're able to get. But at the same time, we've seen, you know, Memphis, Villanova, you know, Gonzaga, different programs like that still, you know, recruit at a high level and have a high level of success being in a different conference. I think where it would really hurt is KU football. And, and you know, when you're looking at, what Kansas brings to the table right now and what Kansas has from a recruiting standpoint, because Kansas has struggled so much, Derek, I think that you almost kind of sell people on a vision when you're recruiting them and you say, hey, you know, you're coming into the Big 12, you're playing at a high conference, at a high level, and if you develop the way that you we think you could – you know, then we can have success at that level. I think that pitch changes a little bit. I think it slows down a little bit when you're recruiting to the Mountain West or another conference like that for uh, for football purposes. There's been a lot of talk of just conferences having these kind of like mergers where the Pac-12 would come together with the Big 12 or the Pac-12 would go together with the Big 10 or some form or fashion there. Do you think that's a realistic possibility for the Big 12? merging with a, a conference like the Pac-12, do you think that would be a, a pliable option? You know, I, I think that it's it's viable to a certain extent. And, and what I mean by that is I don't think you're going to have all of the current Pac-12 merge with the eight teams in the Big 12. And for some teams in there, it wouldn't really make sense anyway, you know, especially when you look at 
the challenges that, that West Virginia already faces, you know, from a travel standpoint, all of a sudden you have West Virginia, you know, traveling out to, to play on the West Coast, you know, and, and things like that, especially during basketball season with all the travel there. So I do think that it, it's a possibility that you could look at the Pac-12, you know, three years from now, six years from now, and see a Big 12 flavor to it where you see – say, four Big 12 teams go to the Pac-12 or, or whatever else. But I, I think that it's uh, it's not the sort of thing where you're going to see a straight-up, you know, conference-to-conference merger. And, and if it does, I think it would be really tough to make all the logistics work there. Well, and I kind of just wonder, like, what the future of the conferences is. Because who's to say, if we didn't hear about this with Texas and Oklahoma till, what, last week, and there was reports that, they were in talks with each other and the conference for six months to a year. Who's to say that the SEC isn't having those same conversations right now with a Clemson or a Florida State or a Michigan or an Ohio State? Uh, what's stopping the SEC from stopping here? You know, I, I don't know that there is something stopping the SEC, to be honest with you. I, I think that, you know, I think people have an appetite for it to a certain extent. But I think that if the SEC starts looking at, say, 20 or, or 24 teams and you start talking Clemson and, you know, Florida State and, and Miami and, and programs like that, in addition to what they're currently looking at having, I, I just, it, it's something where I, I feel like it might not have. It, it might not generate the kind of, of publicity or, you know, or positive buzz that you would see i think a lot of people would really have issues with that in terms of you know the landscape changing maybe a little bit too much and so i do think that yes things are changing now they're going to continue to change as you know every single press release reminds us right now the college landscape is ever changing but at the same time as of right now i i can't see a 20 or 24 team, you know, just super SEC that uh, that puts everybody in a position they want to be in. Because if you're a school like Clemson that right now is is making pretty solid money and has a pretty straightforward route to the college football playoff and thus potentially to a national title, you know, what's, what's your sell to joining the SEC where – you know, maybe you're the fifth or sixth best team and you don't make the playoff at all. And so I do think there's a point of diminishing returns. But counterpoint, couldn't you have made the same argument for Oklahoma? Sure, sure. I, I think Oklahoma is a really interesting case here because I'm not saying I don't understand why Oklahoma did it. I, I understand why, but I don't know that the case for Oklahoma makes quite as much sense as it does for Texas. Because I think when you look at Texas, Texas' success typically relies quite a bit on recruiting not just at a very good level, but at, you know, an elite level. And when you look at Texas's head-to-head battles in recruiting with Texas A&M, Texas A&M's pitch, and it's been their main pitch, it's like a reliever who throws a hundred mile an hour fastball and pretty much doesn't have a whole lot else has been, Hey, you can stay in the state of Texas and play in the sec. That's something only we can offer you. 
And that's been an effective pitch, like that 100-mile-an-hour fastball. And so I, I think that when Texas also has that pitch, I, I think Texas's recruiting is going to go up. I think Texas A&M is going to take a little bit of a hit because, you know, it, it's going to be all about, hey, is Texas A&M better than Texas? And if the answer is no, I don't think that Texas A&M is going to be able to recruit better than than Texas is. And so it makes more sense to me for Texas than I think it does for Oklahoma, but it makes a lot of sense for Oklahoma from just a flat financial standpoint. And, and I think that the Sooners are, are going to be just fine competing in the SEC as well. Yeah. I, I just kind of wonder if all this is culminating in, I mean, there've been some rumors floated out that the SEC would secede away from the NCAA and then they'd have control of their own postseason, their own media stuff. Mm-hmm. They'd have control of um, different rules. Like they could say, hey, we are going to institute a 40 scholarship limit instead of 25, and we're going to get even more of the best players now if they truly wanted to. And if that's the way it's trending, like where would it stop? Why not just say, hey, Vanderbilt, sorry, you're not doing anything for us. We're kicking you to the curb. Here comes Ohio State or whoever it is. I just, I, I think the way this is trending, I don't know if that'll actually happen, but it definitely feels like we're headed toward more of the Super League type of thing than we are to more balanced conferences. Sure. I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if we wind up having, say, a Power Four where every conference is, say, 16 teams, and that you know group produces its, its own postseason or the bulk of its own postseason. And, and, that's, and that's okay because when you look at what the deal currently is in college football, I know we've talked about it quite a bit on the show, it's not the same sport for for Texas that it is for Eastern Michigan or you know somebody else like that. You know UCF can go undefeated and have a team that's arguably a, a top four, top five team in college football and not get a chance to to play for the title. And obviously, you know, with the twelve team playoff, they're trying to change some of that. But the point is just that we've had separation in Division One FBS college football for a while that would just sort of be making it official he is kevin flaherty you can check out all his work at 24 7 sports.com kevin thank you so much for the time and can't wait to talk to you next week when uh maybe the next rumor kansas joining the Sun Belt to reignite their rivalry with coastal <laughs> carolina all right thanks a lot Derek. all right that's kevin flaherty joining us here on rock jock sports talk i'm Derek johnson this is fm 1017 13 on your am dial KLWN.com and the KLWN app. Depend on it.